Hi, and welcome to the first episode of our long-awaited podcast, Therapists in the Wild. I'm Molly St. Dennis, and I'm here with my co-host, Liza Pincus. So good to be here. Uh, we're calling our podcast Therapists in the Wild because as therapists ourselves, we want to share with you some skills that you can use out there in the wild. We're going to structure our podcast by starting each week, teaching you a new DBT skill, and then coaching each other through issues that we're currently dealing with in our lives, using that week's skill to help solve the problem. Exactly. And so if you're not already familiar, you may be wondering, what is DBT, which stands for Dialectical Behavior Therapy? It's a type of psychotherapy that was developed by Marsha Linehan in response to traditional behavior therapies that focus solely on changing thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, like cognitive behavioral therapy. And what Marsha Linehan realized was that these therapies were missing a focus on acceptance of the things in life that can't be changed. So DBT was a, does a wonderful job of balancing the principles of traditional behavior therapy while incorporating the Buddhist ideas of mindfulness and acceptance. Yeah, and you may have heard of DBT as being intended for people with borderline personality disorder and who struggle with suicidal thoughts and behaviors, and that's, of course, true. And it's also undeniable that these skills are really useful to anyone who struggles with emotion dysregulation. You're going to be hearing that term a lot throughout the podcast, so let's just define it now. It means basically having difficulty controlling your response to intense emotions. Yep. So basically, these skills are helpful for all of us out here in the wild. <laughs> and so you're going to learn a lot more about DBT throughout this podcast. And so for now, we're going to start by introducing ourselves, tell you a little bit about why we're making this podcast. Then we'll get into the topic of this episode, which is the concept of dialectics. And then we'll give each other some coaching on how to apply dialectics to problems that are going on in our lives right now. Yeah. And before we do that, just a really quick, important disclaimer that this podcast is not, is meant to introduce you to new skills. Um, maybe it can help you brush up on skills you've already learned in a DBT program or another type of therapy. You're going to hear about how we use these skills in our own lives, and we hope it will be fun and engaging and that you'll learn something. At the same time, it is in no way meant to be a substitute for individual DBT or skills group or any kind of therapy. And this is really just because the nature of the podcast format makes it so that we can't talk with you about your individual issues and needs. So it's, it's very different from individual therapy in that way. Yeah, yeah. And really important point. So back to introducing ourselves, Molly and I are in the final year of our clinical psychology doctoral program at Rutgers University, and we have both worked together in the Rutgers DBT clinic for several years as both individual and skills groups, skills group therapists. Yeah, exactly. And we've also, in addition to doing that, we've also worked in several other clinics and we've treated anxiety disorders, depression, PTSD. OCD, borderline personality disorder, and the list goes on. And crucially, um, it's important that all of our listeners know that we found each other toward the beginning of the program, have become therapy soulmates, um, yeah. friend soulmates, and 
DBT soulmates. We love discussing these skills with each other, coaching each other, and we wanted to essentially open up those coaching calls to a wider audience. Exactly. Yeah. So let's give you all a chance to get to know us a little bit better. Um, so why don't we start with you, Liza? Can you tell us a little bit about where you're from and what issues you have personally struggled with in your life? Yeah, so you're going to hear a lot more about me, about both of us um, throughout the podcast and get to know us better, but just to, just to give you something now. So I grew up on the East Coast, and as I said, I've, I've been at Rutgers for the past four years. I personally have struggled with anxiety from a very young age. A lot of that has taken the form of wanting to control outcomes. Um, in DBT, we talk a lot about being overly attached to outcomes, and that's certainly something that I've overcome through learning DBT myself. Um, I've experienced a lot of distress when things didn't go according to plan. I've tried to control other people's behavior and really just kind of had to learn how to handle it when things don't go exactly according to script. And I'm so grateful to DBT for helping me with a lot of that. And I'm excited to, to share that with you. Mm -hmm. um, how about you, Molly? Why don't you, why don't you give us some of your background? Sure. Yeah, I can relate to a lot of I can relate to a lot of, of a lot of what you just described. I think some of the part of the reason that we're, we have become such soulmates is because we have struggled with some similar issues um, and some things different. But I also grew up on the East Coast um, and my family had a lot of kind of complex dynamics. My parents got divorced when I was in middle school and um, there was a lot of, you know, my dad was seemed like he was struggling with a lot of different things. There was some verbal abuse in the family. And so, as you can probably imagine, this made for a challenging teenagehood. And I struggled also with a lot of issues related to anxiety, depression, confusion about, you know, who I was. And, you know, because I grew up in a house with so much conflict, I think it made it difficult for me to assert myself. I always was trying to keep the peace and avoid conflict. And that makes, has made it difficult for me to use my words to describe how I'm feeling in challenging interpersonal situations. Yeah, th thanks for that. Um, why don't you, you know, kind of related to that, I think this would be helpful to kind of continue on that thread, like what about that in addition to other reasons made you want to become a psychologist? Yeah, that's a, I mean, it's a great question. It's always, I feel like that's a question that's so often asked and it's so hard to answer because there are so many different things that contributed to choosing this path. But my path in particular was a little unconventional. I didn't grow up thinking that I was going to be a psychologist. I didn't know many psychologists. Um, I actually majored in English and gender studies in college. And I had plans to get my PhD in English and become a professor. And, oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, I know. It was like totally different path that I was planning on. And then kind of at the very end of college, inconveniently, right before I graduated, I realized the reason that I actually love English and the reason I love books is because I was so interested in the psychology of the characters. Yeah. And so I kind of just like realized that my skills and interests were probably better suited for clinical work than for a career in academia. 
I just wanted to roll up my sleeves and use my skills to help people who are struggling with issues in the real world, pretty much. Well, I'm, I'm glad you made that decision. Yeah. How about you? What made you want to become a psychologist? Yeah, again, again, soulmates here. Um, I also had kind of a less conventional path um, toward graduate school. I, you know, speaking to some of what I talked about earlier, very type A, very kind of controlled, studied extremely hard. Um, I think a lot of people in my life thought that I was going to go to law school, a lot of wonderful lawyers in the family. And that's what I thought too, for a while. Um, I majored in college in history and literature, which is jokingly kind of called pre-law. Um, learned a lot. Also loved studying the characters throughout the history of literature and didn't barely took any psychology classes in college, although did take one extremely influential intro to psych class that I still think about all the time. I just kind of kept coming back to it. I, after college, worked in technology for a few years. I think maybe you're getting the sense that I was a little bit all over the place in terms of finding my professional identity, and that's something I'm also going to talk about throughout the podcast. But I, I just kind of kept coming back to how interesting I found human behavior to be in every one of my jobs and every one of my studies and I just kind of couldn't shake it and I met a few people studying psychology or who were psychologists and it just kind of seemed like the ideal career it's, it's very flexible there's a lot you can do with it and it just seemed like kind of the way I wanted to spend my life and then it combined so many of my interests um, and then of course once I got to school I, I realized that likely a lot of why I found mental health so interesting was because of some of my own struggles as I think is common with with many mm -hmm. people yeah I think, this. I think yeah the more you learn about what could be wrong or what could you know how to diagnose people the more you realize hey maybe that's something that's going on with me as well I think absolutely. that's a natural part of the process. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So did you know, when you went into grad school, did you know that you wanted to study DBT specifically, or is that something that you discovered later on? I mean, what's so funny in hindsight, because now I live and breathe DBT, is that I don't think I had even heard of it before I started grad school. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes people will call me who are applying to our program or just like SETI programs in general and will talk to me about, oh, how's the DBT program here? How's CBT? How's this? How's that? And I'm so impressed that these people have actually have some clue what this field is about because I had absolutely no idea. And it's so funny in hindsight that, um, that they took me into this program. But anyway, um, <laughs> I didn't know what DBT was. I, in hindsight, it is really just the perfect orientation for me. It makes so much sense. It, in our program, we're exposed to a lot of different therapeutic modalities. And I liked a lot about various ones. And there were always some questions that I had. And DBT kind of answers all my questions. Yeah. I can, I can really relate to that. I feel like yeah. my, my path to DBT similarly was kind of recognizing what I didn't like so much about other therapeutic modalities. I had seen therapists in my life prior that 
had been more behavioral therapists. And I, I remember feeling pretty invalidated by the fact that that those therapists had had really pushed like a lot of change oriented problem solving kind of strategies. And I just would get frustrated and feel invalidated. And then it was tough to really make those changes that they wanted me to make. And so I think when I learned about DBT and I learned that there was a type of therapy that actually incorporated mindfulness and acceptance that sounded really appealing to me. It's, it kind of seemed like it had the best of both worlds. Yeah. And what you're describing kind of mirrors Marsha Linehan's, you know, journey in creating DBT, right. Was that she felt like there were these pieces missing, um, from behavior therapy. Yeah, absolutely. And then I think, you know, as I'm sure we'll talk about more, sometimes just a really good teacher can have a lot of influence on you. And the professor that taught us DBT and has been our supervisor was just really compelling. And I wanted to learn more from her and she is who introduced me to DBT and has continued to be the person I've learned it from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think something that I hope that you all will feel about DBT, and I think the feedback we've gotten from a lot of our clients is that DBT offers almost kind of like a handbook on life. It, it gives you a bunch of skills for how to navigate your feelings, how to navigate interpersonal relationships, and how to be more how to, assertive. Exactly, how to handle when you feel extremely distressed and you really just don't know what to do with yourself. Like there are skills pretty much for every situation in this therapy. And it just provides you, once you learn those skills, it provides you with a lot of different options for how to handle whatever situation comes your way. And it really makes you, allows you to respond more flexibly to difficult situations. Yeah, and, and something you just said reminded me, you know, of our early conversations about DBT, I feel like we're both lifelong learners and Mm -hmm. DBT, you know, you can learn the skills, you can know the basics and get a lot from that. And the more you learn and practice the skills, the more layered it becomes. And I, I feel like DBT as a therapy and as a therapist, I never get bored of it. There's always new challenges there's always a deeper understanding to be gained and you know in terms of having a rich professional life that's something I'm looking for mm-hmm. yeah yeah and so are there so it sounds like you definitely want to continue to practice DBT in your career are there other goals that you have as a psychologist yeah so I mentioned my pre-psychology life in tech and I think If there's one thing I gained from it, it's this idea that it's important and possible to kind of reach the maximum amount of people that you can, um, which sounds so businessy of me, and that's funny, but (laughs) I think it's true. And, you know, I went into this field because I wanted to do individual work and impact people on an individual level. And I've always really cared about systemic issues and systemic change. So, a lot of my career goals focus on increasing access to mental health kind of on a broader systems level. Something that's specifically really important to me is helping more people learn DBT skills because they've helped me so much. And that has a lot to do with why I wanted to start this podcast with you, Molly. Yeah. Yeah. That seems like a perfect way to begin to accomplish that professional goal of yours. Yeah. Absolutely. What, what about you? What are, what are some of your goals other than, or including continuing to practice DBT? I think just generally speaking, I, I'm interested mostly in clinical work and I just really want to help people 
figure out what's important to them in life and essentially help them take steps to act in line with their values to make help people live more meaningful and fulfilling lives yeah and that's ultimately the point of dbt i think we forgot to mention it's making in the moment behavior change with the ultimate goal of building a life worth living and finding more meaning exactly so now that we have introduced ourselves, let's spend the rest of this episode talking about the concept of dialectics. We'll first explain to you all why it matters, and then we can talk about how we can actually use this idea and this concept to improve our own lives. Yeah, and if the reason we're starting with this skill is because dialectics, dialectical behavior therapy is a very <laughs> crucial piece of the theory behind um, this whole therapeutic orientation. So it's, it's kind of a fundamental. Yeah, it is. And it's something that not a lot of people know about. It's very counter to how we're taught to think. And it's a, it can be a really new concept and one that I think most people, once they learn a little bit more about it, find to be extremely practically useful. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> Molly, when you were a kid, do you feel like this is something you can relate to that in school or, you know, in social situations, you'd often be asked to describe yourself as either or like, are you shy or outgoing? Are you introverted or extroverted? Are you a nerdy kid or are you a cool kid? Yeah. Oh my God. All the time. It was, it was always like, I'm more shy. I'm introverted. I'm in between nerdy and cool. <laughs> yeah. 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 We're so often taught to put ourselves in these boxes, which has so many negative consequences, I think. And I don't know. I feel like I was never told that you can be both. You can be shy sometimes and outgoing at other times. You can both be nerdy and interested in, you know, pop culture, right? Like there's so many kind of in-betweens. Yeah, for sure. I feel like that's something that I only really realize as I've grown up when I sometimes I'll go into a situation with this idea in my head, like I'm a shy person and having that idea in my head makes me act a certain way. Whereas if, if I, if there was that concept in the head of like, okay, you can both be shy sometimes and outgoing sometimes, I think that would lead to probably more flexibility in terms of behavior. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think it confuses us when we don't act according to the box that we've put ourselves in. So mm -hmm. if we consider ourselves as a non-assertive person and then all of a sudden we act assertively rather than being proud of ourselves, we are confused and kind of judge ourselves. Yeah, for sure. I think I think this this what we're I mean, this is just a general example to introduce the concept of dialectics. And so a dialectical approach, the reason why it's most helpful to us is that when we get stuck, this approach can help us get unstuck. And so it does that by taking into account our own, our current viewpoint, as well as an opposing viewpoint, which then leads to a synthesis of both viewpoints or both perspectives. And then change can naturally occur from that point. Yeah, that's, that's such a great way to describe it. I mean, es essentially, it's this idea that there is always more than one way to see a situation and more than one way to solve a problem, or simply put, that there is no absolute truth. Mm -hmm. And in our 
society, in our politics, in so much of the world right now. There is so much extreme thinking going on. And I mean, we kind of already talked about it, Molly, but like, if you had to sum it up, what is, why is that a bad thing? Why, why are these really extreme positions problematic? I think the main reason why they're problematic, like we said, is that it can, it, it, it leaves you stuck when you become extremely entrenched in your position and lose the ability to see what's valid about the other person or the other perspective or viewpoint. Mm -hmm. it, it, then you just continue to dig your, dig your heels in and have thoughts about why you're right and why the other person's wrong. And then mm -hmm. you just, you, you get to this place where you really just can't move anywhere. Yeah. And I think as we know from our, you know, political landscape, it's close to impossible to change someone else's mind, particularly when the viewpoint you're presenting is so extreme and just doesn't take into account any validity in their position. And so not only do you feel stuck, you actually are stuck and no, no progress is made. And I think we all, we can all think of so many examples of that. Yeah. And I think when, you know, going back to kind of how dbt approaches issues like that there's in dbt there are three main concepts there's the idea of behaviorism mindfulness and then dialectics and so when you have a problem you can approach it using mindfulness so let's say you're depressed you can if you come at it from a perspective of mindfulness you might just notice or observe that depression you might you know, approach it with an, a sense of curiosity and just kind of sit there, be with your depression, get to know your depression. That's one approach. And sometimes just the simple act of doing that can change your relationship to the depression. You might not get rid of it. You might still not want it to be there, but it changes your relationship to it because you're not fighting it and pushing it away anymore, which often causes mm -hmm. a lot more suffering. You're just sort of letting it be there and observing it and describing it. Exactly. And then there's the behavioral approach, which is essentially a problem solving approach. You are depressed. How can I get non de not depressed? Mm -hmm. So maybe that means I need to, if I haven't been engaging in activities, maybe I need some more behavioral activation, which is one theory for how to treat depression. So maybe it's I need to go run on a treadmill so I feel better. Exactly. Run on a yeah. treadmill, call friends, you know, whatever it is that you need to do to change or fix the situation. And then this third approach is kind of when you feel stuck. Maybe those two approaches aren't really hitting the mark. Maybe you need something else. Maybe you're in an argument with somebody else or a disagreement with somebody else, or maybe even within yourself, and you are just feeling stuck. This third approach of dialectics gives us another set of skills to deal with that conflict. Hmm. Yeah, that's so true. It's like there's always this there's always this middle path or a third option. So like what would be an example in the case of, okay, I'm just feeling really depressed today. Sitting with the depression isn't helping and trying to make myself feel better by activating myself isn't helping. Like what would be an example of kind of a third approach or a middle path? I think the first step to, to figuring that out would be to identify what are the opposing forces inside you that are causing you to feel depressed. So for example, you might be feeling depressed because you have a value that's really important to you and you're not acting in line with that value. So that's a conflict that you have 
that you're not able to, that you're, that you're kind of stuck. Um, hmm. at, or maybe for example, you might be somebody who really needs a significant other in your life to feel happy and satisfied and you don't have a significant other in your life right now. And that might be making hmm. you feel depressed. So I, I think the first step is identifying what is that conflict and what are the two sides of the conflict that are pulling against each other and causing that feeling of stuckness. Hmm. Okay. And then kind of coming up with a creative way to solve the problem that might be different from what you originally tried. I think some, yes, sometimes it leads, sometimes identifying that the, those two opposing sides and, and, and seeing that conflict in that way can lead to problem solving. And sometimes just identifying those two opposing forces in and of them in and of itself can lead to change mm -hmm. so sometimes yeah. like you almost don't even need to do anything other than identify the the two sides and then mm -hmm. that kind of naturally will lead to change hmm. yeah i really like that i don't think i've ever actually articulated a dialectical approach in those terms and i think that's so useful um which which kind of leads us to a point about dialectics which is that change is the only constant in life right that things are always moving we think it's going to be this way forever and it won't and that can be upsetting if something is going really well and you don't want it to end it can also be really positive if you are feeling stuck sometimes all you got to do is just wait it out exactly i think i think remembering that change is the only concept, which is one of the main things that dialectics teaches us, can give us a sense of hope and possibility when things are not going well for us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that even when things aren't going well, um, it is kind of a dialectic even in and of itself to say, I'm feeling really depressed right now and I'm hopeful that things are gonna change. Like, that's such a dialectical statement. It seems like if I'm really depressed, I can't possibly be hopeful. Sometimes you can be. Yeah, for sure. I had, I actually have something happened to me a couple of days ago. I was having one of those days where, you know, and I've been feeling like this a lot since the, since quarantine started where my moods will be kind of up and down. And it was a day that was a pretty down day. And mm -hmm. I was feeling, I was, I was just feeling like there's nothing, I have nothing to look forward to. I'm feeling just really sad, really like you know, when you're really sad and it feels kind of, I feel so sensitive that anything somebody said could just like physically hurt me almost. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine feeling really down and depressed during quarantine. <laughs> what on earth are you talking about? <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. So, so feeling that way. Yeah. So yeah. I was having one of those days and I was just feeling like that. And then I went for a walk and I came across this waterfall like who knew there was a waterfall in my town yeah what and there was like a ledge that I walked all the way all the way down this long path and got to this ledge and sat next to this waterfall and was just laying there and listening to it and just in nature and and just had this really beautiful joyful moment while I was still feeling depressed hmm and it was, it just felt like such a dialectical moment where yeah. I recognized that like, I can both feel depressed and experience joy at the same time. And so what was the result of that realization of like, I, I am still depressed and there's a moment of joy here. What, what was like the net result of that? It honestly got, it made me feel a lot less hopeless, I think. 
because mm. I, re I realized part of what was making me depressed, I think that conflict that I was just describing, like the conflict inside me was, was that in my mind, summer is a time for fun and hanging out mm -hmm. with people and doing, yeah. having, doing activities and all of the things. And then I also knew that none of those things were going to, or I thought I knew that none of those things were going to happen this summer. Yeah. And that, that's depressing. That was depressing. And it was making me feel really hopeless about the summer. Yeah. Yeah. And so when I had that experience, I, it, it almost like made me realize that that's not necessarily true. I actually, I actually can have moments of joy, even if they're different than what I would have thought it would look like. Yeah. That still can yeah. exist. And yeah, I think that's so poignant for right now. And I think remembering that change is going to keep happening is such a crucial part of that because I, I know that I have been experiencing some of those moments during this horrendous beyond words time that we're going through where all of a sudden I'll feel a little bit of hope, maybe a little bit of joy, maybe a little bit of humor. And then the next minute I'll feel really down again. And so what I have to keep reminding myself is okay, so then the next moment I'm going to feel really down again. And then maybe five minutes later, there'll be something else that brings me joy. Mm -hmm. That just because it's fluctuating doesn't mean the fluctuations are going to stop. They're never going to stop. And that's, that's life. And we kind of need to just be here for all of it. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of crazy how our minds like to I, especially our minds like we were describing at the beginning of the podcast, we like to have a sense of control over things. And so, mm -hmm. you know, we're always trying to say like, okay, well, am I depressed or am I not depressed? Am I happy or am I not happy? And you want to believe that it's going to last whatever you're feeling. But that we all know in our heart of hearts that the nature of emotions is that they're like waves. They come mm -hmm. and go. Mm -hmm. And even within a day, you can have a range of emotions. And I think if you kind of tell yourself like, oh, I'm depressed right now, then all you pay attention to are those moments of feeling down and feeling, and, you know, feeling unhappy. Whereas if you don't put that label on it and you're kind of open to the fact that change is the only constant, things are always moving, you know, there's a natural flow to emotions. You become aware, I guess, that there are a lot more things happening than you maybe even realize. Yeah, that's such... That's such a beautiful way to say it. Yeah, we all need to embrace change right now. I mean, I'm, I'm listening to so many podcasts. I, we both love podcasts, and <laughs> clearly. And, um, you know, I, I listen to How I Built This, which is the podcast about entrepreneurs. And there was this really fascinating episode about the founders of Sweet Green and how they had invested in all of this new technology and sort of made these kind of risky business decisions that they were really excited about. And then quarantine, you know, then the lockdown hit and they did a little follow-up with them at the end. And what I expected them to say was, yeah, things are really terrible right now and we don't know what's going to happen. And instead they said, well, we had pivoted before and now we're going to have to pivot again. Oh, and wow. we need to use this as an opportunity to get in there and adapt to this new situation. And it, I mean, wow, this is, I guess, why they're sweet green. Like, it was so <laughs> impressive. Uh -huh. Oh my gosh, what a crazy, wow, what an amazing perspective. That's such a great example of, of this concept of just how it would be so easy to just say like, 
we had this plan, things are not going according to this plan, what do we do? But instead they adapted. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that's, that's kind of a general idea of what dialectics is. Um, just to ground you in how DBT thinks about dialectics, there's this kind of central dialectic that clients or people are doing the best they can and they need to do better, try harder and be more motivated to change. So that's sort of grounding the central dialectic and how we think about change in behavior therapy. Yep, absolutely. And there's, so there's a lot of different ways to practice dialectical thinking. Um, what do you, Liza, in your experience, what is the way that you found most helpful in practicing this skill? So I think this idea for me of finding what we call the kernel of truth in someone else's perspective or in the other side is really, really important when I feel stuck. Um, and I know that I feel stuck because I'm thinking in black and white terms, my emotions are running high, right? I'm feeling really angry at another person or at a situation. And it usually means that I'm not kind of finding what's true about their perspective. Um, even if I don't agree with it in the end, or even if we don't come to a straight down the middle compromise, at least I'm finding something about their perspective that's valid and true. Yeah. I love that you brought up the, the anger. Um, cause I feel like when we, when we feel angry at another person, that should be like a bell going off in your head. that dialectical thinking is needed. Right. Because what it means is that you're only seeing your side. Exactly. Exactly. Once you can kind of identify like, okay, I have my perspective and I can, it's easy for me to see the validity of my perspective and that other person has their perspective and there is something valid. Maybe I can't see it right now, but there is something valid about their perspective. And once you kind of take the time to think about what's valid about their perspective, or maybe even ask them, say, you know, I, I know that we've gotten really polarized. I know that I've been, you know, telling you all the reasons why you're wrong and being defensive here. And I really want to understand what's, what's valid or what's true about what you're saying. Can you try again to explain to me your perspective and then listen for what is, what's valid, what's true, what's wise about their perspective. Even if it's one tiny little thing, recognizing that and saying it out loud to that person will move you both into a new space together. Yeah, that's so true. I, I love the idea of asking someone. We so rarely say like, hey, I'm having trouble seeing your side. Please give me something. I think that's, <laughs> that's so, so hard powerful. To do. It's yeah. so hard to do and so powerful. I also think sometimes we need to kind of invent it. Like, I know this is, I know this is a controversial topic, but let's talk about people wearing masks or not wearing masks on the street during the pandemic. It's so easy to look out your window and judge everyone for not wearing masks and what happens in your own body you start to get angry you start to get upset your blood starts boiling right that is also the perfect example of um drinking poison and expecting the other person to die right because they're out there on the street and they have no idea that you're getting angry and so sometimes it would be helpful for you personally to practice a more dialectical approach and try to think about where they might be coming from is there one reason why they might not be wearing a mask you don't have to agree with it 
You don't have to like it. And sometimes seeing that kernel of truth in the other person's perspective can just make you feel calmer. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's a great, that's a great point. And it, another way to think about that is to ask yourself what's being left out. I have Mm -hmm. my perspective. It's all I can see right now, but there's always something that's being left out. It's not possible that you are ever aware of every single thing that's happening in, in the context that you're existing in. Mm -hmm. So there's always something that's being left out. And when you feel stuck, a really great question to ask yourself is what am I, what am I leaving out? What am I forgetting? Mm-hmm. It can it, it can often be the other person's perspective. It their might past what they've yeah. been through in their lives, kind of where they're yeah. Exactly, exactly. There it could be a lot of different things, and so kind of recognizing that there are things that you're not realizing can allow you to. It, it, it kind of makes your perspective more flexible, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is really helpful with family conflict, with friend conflict, partner conflict. Really all kinds of conflict in our lives. When, when you're in conflict, you're probably not exercising dialectical thinking to the fullest extent. It's true. And so and another, way to, another way to do that is to move away from either or or all or nothing thinking like you mentioned before, like I'm right, you're wrong, mm-hmm. uh, to, and moving toward what we call both and thinking. So this essentially means acknowledging mentally, verbally, however you need to, that this may be true and this is also true. So how, yeah. I mean, how have you been able to do that, Liza, if you, when you practice this? Yeah, it's, it's such a language thing. It's really a matter of syntax sometimes, like, like so much else um, that, that relates to our emotions. It's kind of how you phrase things. So for example, I've learned through being on DBT team for a couple of years that anytime you say, but in the middle of a sentence, you've just negated everything you've just said. So for example, if I were to say to you, Molly, I'm sorry I was late today, but I had to do this other thing that was more important. I would feel like you don't care at all that you were late. Yeah, exactly. What I'm saying is the thing that matters more is that I had this other commitment, not that I'm sorry. If I said to you, I'm sorry, and my other call that was really important ran late, how would that be different? That would make me feel like you are sorry that you're late and you had something else going on. Right. Both things are true. Both things are true. Exactly. Um, so yeah, so, so kind of taking the word, but out of your vocabulary, um, is one way to practice more dialectical thinking. Um, what else? What do you use, Molly? I, I, tr- I really think the most, like the thing that's helped me the most practice this skill is identifying the, identifying the two sides, the two kind of opposing forces, what, figuring out what is opposing what here. Mm-hmm. If you're in a conflict with someone, you can identify what that conflict is about, what what the what your perspective is and what their perspective is. Then in my experience what's been helpful is identifying what's the kernel of truth in my perspective, which is usually easy to find because we always, you know, it's easy to think you're right. Mm-hmm. And then taking a little more energy to think about what's the kernel of truth in that other person's perspective. 
once and, and like we talked about, you can do that by either if you can just sit down and kind of reflect for a little bit and come to it on your own, or if you really are out of ideas for how what is possibly valid or true about somebody else's perspective, you can try to ask them to explain their perspective again and listen in a non-defensive way and try to find that kernel of truth in their perspective. And then once you can identify that dialectic, you don't like sometimes you can do something, but oftentimes I find that it's enough to do nothing because just mm -hmm. by identifying it, you've planted a seed. And by doing that, you have created a possibility for a change to occur naturally. Okay. So I love that roadmap. I think it's very well put and something that our listeners can take with them. And now if you're willing to be my skills coach, I have a situation that I could use some help thinking through more dialectically and that roadmap that you just laid out, I think could be a great way to help me solve my problems. So are you, are you willing to be my skills coach? Yeah, I would love to. Let's hear what's going on right now. Okay. And I think this problem is something you might also be dealing with. So it can also help our listeners get to know us a little bit better. Okay. Um, so I was supposed to be getting married in October of this year. And you also were supposed to be getting married in the fall. Mm -hmm. And we have now had to have this wrench thrown into our plans due to the pandemic. Um, and I think it was really hard to accept at first. And I feel like I have accepted it, that October is not going to allow for the type of big celebration that I wanted. And I think I took my time to grieve that and all of that. And now I feel like I've moved to a place of let's change the plan. Let's push it back for a year. Um, let's do exactly what we were planning to do just one year later. And I kind of made peace with that. And not all of the key people in my life agree with that plan. Mm -hmm. So what I need your help with is thinking of a way to think through that more dialectically. Okay. And just to make sure that I understand the conflict that you're describing or where you're feeling a little polarized is about your, your wanting to move it, move the party to a year out and then some other people in your life not agreeing with that decision. Yeah. So I, I should have given more context. I think everyone agrees that it would not be wise to have a really big party in October given the risk. Um, I think that some people in my life um, are kind of hoping that my boyfriend and I still get married in some sort of smaller celebration. And I don't think we want to do that. And I, on the one hand, feel like this is my marriage. It's my decision. You know, I'm going to put my foot down. And there's a kernel of truth. There are many kernels of truth in their perspective as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so let's let's start with let's start with your perspective. We you already gave kind of like the main kernel of truth that you're seeing in your perspective. Are there other are there other ones that stand out to you as being particularly valid about why you want to wait not only for the party but also for the ceremony a year out? Yeah, I mean, I think it's. Mainly, it's just because it's my decision, that, or our decision, I should say. Um, you know, mine and my boyfriend's. And I think 
we had this idea in our head that we wanted to legally get married in front of all of our friends and family. And so part of how we're handling the disappointment of this is by hoping to still have that Mm -hmm. just a year later. So it sounds like you're saying, and this is me reading into it a little bit also, because I know you (laughs) and I know the situation, Mm -hmm. Um, but is it that you feel like it would be more festive to wait so that you could have it all kind of at the same time? Yeah, I think it'd be more exciting, you know, I think, um, I think obviously it's so reasonable for people to do whatever they want here and not judging anyone else's decision, but personally, I, you know, want to have the day of my legal marriage be in front of other people and sort of have that like energy around it. Got it. That, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. And so, okay. So w- we see your perspective. Let's think about the other people now um, who may, it sounds like be wanting a slightly different plan where you would have the ceremony earlier and then the party further out. What is valid about that perspective? I think it has to do with certain values around um, kind of the symbolism of getting a marriage, you know, of getting legally married and that to them getting legally married sort of starts a new phase of your relationship that would be nice to have, you know, during these really uncertain times, right? That everything is so hard right now why not um kind of symbolically you know have a really special moment take this next step together when so much else in the world is so yeah is so uncertain and Mm -hmm. um and just for them to maybe witness it sooner because we all could use some joy in our lives right now um Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's part of it. So it sounds like part does that of that makes sense. Like, does that sound does that sound like valid to you? I I mean, I think so. I think that sounds valid. That that there may be no better time than now to get married. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Some ways, because this is you know this is life, and mm-hmm. it's there's a lot of unpredictability right now, and none of us, all of us, have have had our futures you know, kind of just shaken up right before our eyes and everything that we thought was going to be is no longer. And so I could understand from someone's perspective how, you know, if you don't know what's going to happen in the future, then you should kind of act now because all we have is the present moment. Yeah. And also just this idea that hopefully in a year from now, we'd be able to get married. We don't even know if that's going to be true. And so it's kind of like the accept what you can't control and change what you can control. And, and the legal um, process of getting married is something we actually could do. Um, I think, mm-hmm. I think the state, the courts are going to reopen soon, but you know, when, whenever that happens, right. This is actually something we do have power over. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess like we've, we've kind of identified what's valid in both of those perspectives. And, and can I just say, to your point earlier, I already feel differently about the situation just by going through the exercise of articulating what's valid about their perspective. Because how do you feel different? Yeah, I mean, genuinely, because I think beforehand I was so stuck in my 
position and feeling like this is my decision and I don't understand where they're coming from and this is maddening and now I feel better. Okay. And how do you feel towards the other people now? More empathy for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you feel at all like they might have some valid points? Yeah, definitely. definitely. <laughs> I do. <laughs> don't want to admit that on a podcast where they right here, but you may be right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I also, I think like, you know, again, it doesn't have to be a pros and cons list of like who has more valid points than the other person. I do think though that going through this has made me realize that they have several valid points. Mm-hmm. And as do you. As, as do you. I. Mm-hmm. And I think, I, th- I think this brings us to a really important kind of wrapping up of this concept of dialectics, which is that the solution that you end up coming to, it doesn't, ha- it's not something that is, is a linear process, right? Like, it's not like you have to either choose your, what you were originally going to do or what they were going to originally do, although you, mm-hmm. although you could, you could also try to synthesize those what's valid about your perspective and what's valid about their perspective and try to think about whether there's any kind of other alternative that could come of that could come of this Mm -hmm. decision right like an option c that combines like some of what's valid about each of those points exactly yeah yeah and this is where we talk about a synthesis not a compromise so it's i guess a compromise would be like get married exactly six months in between the original date yeah. and the new proposed date right and that that wouldn't be helpful for anyone I don't know nobody would be happy if that was the option that you chose right so I mean my wheels are spinning here any any thoughts on your end of what might be a synthesis yeah I have a couple thoughts and one thought that I have is like what about waiting you know if it's important for you if what's valid about your perspective is that it's that you really feel that it would be more festive to have everything on the same day then maybe you could have some other kind of like ceremony that you do with those people more immediately that isn't a legally Mm. binding ceremony but it could be some other kind of ceremony that's something very similar to what i was thinking yeah and i guess what would in some ways that would address the validity of their side because that would be the creating joy amidst a pandemic for everyone, right? Something mm-hmm. for us all to look forward to, something that we could make into a special, meaningful day, um, kind of have an opportunity to, to celebrate. And, and I'm sure if we had a like symbolic ceremony, it would probably be a nice moment for our relationship and make us feel different. Yeah. Make you feel like closer and more change. connected and yeah. more to each other, even if it was, even if it didn't involve the legal aspect. Yeah. I mean, another idea would be to get married legally and then have a party later and have a special ceremony then too. Yeah, that is, that's, that's a, Look at that. That's a great example of how there are so many different... Look at me being flexible. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think I want to do that, but it's good to just entertain the idea and kind of say it out loud and try it on for size. Yeah, for sure. And do you think that you could have... I mean, I'm sure we could sit here forever and think of other possible dialectical solutions to this Mm -hmm. issue. 
but do you feel like you would have been able to come to even the two that we just came to without distilling what was valid about each of your perspectives? Absolutely not. Because when you're so stuck in your perspective, you, you can't think flexibly and you also can't, um, when you're not open to the other side, why would you spend time thinking of an alternative to your mm -hmm. solution? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so true. I can, I can so see how like not going, not having this process, it leads to misery because mm -hmm. you are just thinking about, it makes you angry thinking about how entrenched you are in your position, how everybody else is wrong. And it, and it can really create interpersonal issues. It can create issues in relationships when we don't take into account the other person's perspective, because then they feel, then they do the same thing, then they dig their heels in, in their perspective, and... And it becomes impossible to talk about in a very kind of circular process where you don't end up anywhere. Yep. In my experience, when these types of things have happened to me, and I haven't practiced this type of thinking, it's led to either fighting or avoiding the con or avoiding the topic altogether. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which has also been happening. Yep. Yeah. Ooh, wow. This was so helpful. Good. I'm so glad that it was helpful. So I guess in kind of summing up, um, kind of first step is, is identifying what is the conflict. Second step is identifying what's valid or true or wise about each side of the um, opposing, opposing viewpoints or even if it's mm -hmm. within your, a conflict within yourself, like the depression example we used earlier, what yeah. are the two sides that are pulling against each other and what's true about both of those two sides? And then when you get to that point, you can either just kind of say it out loud, write it down, acknowledge it, and wait for natural change to occur because we know that change is the only constant and change will occur just by the very act of you identifying the dialectic that is creating change. It's creating a new moment. Creating a new moment, exactly. Mm -hmm. Or you can do some more active problem solving like we just did and think through what are some solutions that might incorporate the truth or the validity of, of both perspectives. Yeah, not necessarily a perfect compromise between them, something instead that honors the truth in both perspectives. Yeah. So let's, so for our, for our assignment for this week, we're gonna practice dialectical thinking this week and just kind of notice notice when when issues like this come up in our life and then we'll check in with each other and talk about it at the beginning of our next episode about how it went. Yeah, we'll do that and then we'll teach you the next skill. So until next time, stay skillful, everybody. Bye. Bye.